Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to ask you to do as you normally do. Stay with me. It will be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, all done without any type of manipulation. That means we don't sell anything. We're not asking you to join anything. We're not asking you to give up anything. We're not asking you to go somewhere, do anything. All we're asking you to do is to listen up. Listen as I teach the Word of God. Yes, it's a show about the Bible, and yes, it's a show about God, but maybe not like what you've heard before. We don't rant and rave. We're not jumping up and down here, no yelling, no screaming. We're just trying to give you some accurate information. It's our prayer that this information will help you verify and identify the plan of God for your life. If you can take that information and use it to orient and adjust the plan, that's wonderful. That's great. That's our whole objective. Our objective is to be accurate, to be clear, to be lucid, and to give you the opportunity to respond. You can always visit us on our website. We have a new website that our web producer has worked very hard to put together. It's simply Rick Hughes Ministries. Rick Hughes Ministries. If you go to the Google search site and look up Rick Hughes Ministries, you'll find us. And there you can order our radio shows. You can order our various messages that we have given in uh, churches or schools or order some of the many books that we've written. They're all free, no charge ever. So uh, give us a visit. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us from the website and email, or you can simply email rick at rickhughesministries.org, rick at rickhughesministries.org. And I'll get it, and we'll always respond to that. Now, uh, today I want to talk to you about something that I think is very interesting. Remember, our show, The Flot Line, F-L-O-T, Flot is short for Forward Line of Troops. And what we're using is a military analogy to explain how the Christian life works. F-L-O-T is the main line of resistance that the military will establish whenever it goes into a foreign battle arena. There has to be a main line of resistance to keep the enemy out of the command post. And so if we say the command post for you is your mind, it's your thoughts, it's your thinking. What we're saying is that using this illustration, you can establish a main line of resistance, and that being the 10 unique problem-solving devices taught in the Word of God. Uh, they've always been there. They were identified in this structure by my pastor, who put this study together and gave me permission to use it, by the way. But the 10 problem-solving devices as found on the flat line of your soul will stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside source of stress. Stress is optional. Adversity is inevitable. So when adversity hits your life, maybe through mismanagement of finances, maybe mismanagement of health, maybe mismanagement of personal responsibilities, those three things you bring on yourself, or it could be something that you didn't create at all, like social adversity, weather-related adversity. It could be military adversity. It could be anything. When that hits, 
you can do one or two things. You can react with fear, or you can respond with faith. That's up to you. So fear is you assuming some unassigned responsibilities if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, the objective is to react or respond with faith. That's using those 10 problem-solving devices, which we have a book about. And it picks up whatever the adversity is. It'll pick it up and stop it. You'll recognize it. And you'll say, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be afraid. I'm not supposed to worry. I'm not supposed to be bitter. I'm not supposed to be vindictive. I'm not supposed to be whatever. You see, this is not the Christian life. The Christian life is a very, very unique life. It's a supernatural life. It's not a life anyone can just decide they want to live. It's exclusive. The only way you can live it is to become a Christian. And that starts with you putting your faith alone in Christ alone. So if you can come to the cross and you can say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God, and I am willing to accept his work on the cross as my redemptive factor. In other words, in a prayer, you don't have to go through all that, but you could simply say, Father, I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. I believe your son died for me. That's it. That's it. First John 5 says, He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believing in Christ is the word, same word as faith, it's just a verb. Faith's a noun, but it's you accepting the fact that he is the son of God and you are trusting him to handle your sin, which he did. I'm going to show you how he did it. So unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not a member of this exclusive club. But once you accept Christ as your Savior and you become a, quote, Christian, you're in the club. And you have assets that other people do not have. What kind of assets do you have? Well, in one of our books, we've listed uh, something my pastor taught many years ago, 39 irrevocable assets. And uh, we have a list of all of those, but there are actually about 40 things God does for you the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, keep this in mind. The most important asset is you have the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the Christian life without God, the Holy Spirit, doing his work. Because the natural man, as the Bible tells us, cannot perceive spiritual phenomena. And so you have been given God, the Holy Spirit, and when you believe in Christ and are born again, you are given a new human spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, communicates to the human spirit, and this is where spiritual phenomena takes place. It's a supernatural life because you have a Bible, and it says in the Bible the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So you have a Bible, and you have the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, And then you are told in Romans to stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance beyond what you should think. But think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. The standard of thinking from his word refers to developing a divine viewpoint about life. 
The natural man has human viewpoint. That's the only way he can think. He doesn't have any spiritual capabilities. He can only think in terms of the natural realm. But you, if you are a believer, and you have God the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have the living Word of God available, then you can accumulate a biblical mindset, an inventory of ideas that's phenomenal. You can learn what it means to live the faith rest life. You can learn what it means to have grace orientation. You can experience what it means to have a personal sense of destiny. You can enjoy your assets of impersonal love and personal love for God the Father. You can have a personal occupation with Christ in your life. You can have the great joy and the happiness that he had, but you got to learn it. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Those are his words, not mine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if our Lord said that you have to learn, and Peter wrote, uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the writer of Hebrews wrote, or Paul wrote, study to show thyself approved unto God, we have about three verbs here, study, grow, and learn. And so our objective as believers, once we are born again or born into the royal family of God, is to study God's Word, learn God's Word, which means to apply it, and grow. But what are we to grow to? We're to grow to be mature believers, where we give maximum glorification to God where we don't need somebody to hold our hand all the time, where we are spiritually self-sufficient. Spiritual self-esteem and spiritual autonomy. And listen, you've got to get to spiritual autonomy. You've got to be able to stand on your own two feet. You've got to be able to glorify God and not have to run to the preacher every time you have a question. That's the only way you're ever going to be able to enjoy the full benefit of this Christian life is to be autonomous with God, to have the Holy Spirit, to become a mature believer, and to glorify God to the maximum. Now, one thing that'll destroy you, one thing that'll shoot you down quickly, is what I'm about to tell you about right now. In Matthew 18, 21, we have the disciple Peter coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asked the Lord a pointed question he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Uh, <laughs> in other words, you know, the disciples had a little bit of a conflict going on. First of all, what they got was not what they signed up for. None of them expected to be wanted criminals. They just wanted to go into the kingdom with the Lord. And then there was a, a lot of... Uh, competition among the disciples to see who was the best. As a matter of fact, James and John's mother came and asked Jesus when he got to the kingdom, could one of them sit on the right hand and the other one sit on the left hand? So she was in the middle of it as well. And uh, so there was always some sort of competition about who was the most important of the disciples. And, and there was so much to learn in such a short period of time. And so here is something they had to learn. Peter, I'm sure, had 
been ticked off on many occasions over many different things, especially with what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. And he wanted to know how many times he had to forgive somebody. Seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, an infinite number of times. And so what the Lord is teaching is there's never a time, never, never a time when you should not forgive someone for something they do to you. And he illustrates this with a parable of the king and the debt owed the king by the slave. This is found also in Matthew, beginning in chapter 18 and verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king who would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one, in other words, count his money, one was brought unto him who owed him 10,000 talents. I'll explain what that is in a minute. And uh, for as much as he had nothing with which to pay, the king commanded him to be sold and his wife and children to be sold. Everything that he had to be sold, in other words, sold into slavery and payment to be made to the king. In other words, whatever he got for the wife, the family, the kids, the man, his possession, sell it all and give the money to me. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He untied him, forgave him the debt. But then the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. But he would not. And he put him in prison till he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had been done, they were very sorry and came and told it to the king. And the king, after he called him back, said unto him, You are a wicked servant. I forgave you all of the debt you owed me because you asked me to. Shouldn't you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And the king was angry and delivered him to the inquisitors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers that trespasses. Now there's a lot to learn here, so let me try to go through it quickly with you. The lessons to be learned from this is number one, people are often the greatest test in your life. People testing is tough especially if you are associated with a W.O.J. I know you want to say, well, what is a W.O.J.? Well, that's short for a weird, obnoxious jerk. So if you got one that lives next door to you or one that works in the cubicle next to you or one that serves with you, how do you handle that person? Well, it's a test, people testing. And if you don't learn how to use impersonal love, which is problem-solving device number eight. 
If you don't learn how to use impersonal love, you will never pass the weird, obnoxious jerk test because you have been commanded in the Bible to love your enemies. And the only way you can love someone like this is love them on the basis of who you are, not <clears throat> who they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. So number two, learning to forgive is vital for tranquility in your life. Learning to forgive is vital for tranquility in your life. In other words, if you don't learn to forgive the weird people that assault you in many ways, spiritually, socially, mentally, whatever, I'm not talking about physical assault. No, that's a criminal act. But I'm talking about people that assault your senses. If you can't forgive them, then you're never going to have any tranquility in your life because you're always going to be filled with rage, vindictive thinking, animosity. And point three, vindictive thinking is a terrible grudge to bear. You carry that all your life because you can't forgive a jerk? I know how it is. I've been assaulted myself on several occasions by jerks. And so it just bothers me to no end. I mean, I, sometimes I'll find myself thinking about it a month later. Why did I let that person get me upset? Why did I let that person set me off and make me angry? Why can't I not forgive that person? I mean, I'm a human just like you. And we both have to learn that vindictiveness is a terrible grudge to bear in life. The fourth principle to learn from this is if you're a believer and you don't learn how to forgive, you're going to waste your life being bitter and vindictive. And number five, forgiving someone or forgiveness means this, that you replace the wrong thinking with the right thinking. And that simply means you take Bible doctrine, the Word of God, over bitter memories that are festering in your soul. So this means three things to you. Number one, if you are in fact a mature believer and you are using those ten problem-solving devices in your life, then you can be relaxed. You can have an RMA. What's an RMA? It's a relaxed mental attitude. That's the way a Christian is. He has a relaxed mental attitude. He's not uptight. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Listen, come on now. Do you remember how God used a jackass to straighten out Balaam? If God can use a jackass, we're not all that important, are we? So don't get this idea that you're the only one that God could use. God was in business before you got here. And he's going to be in business way after we're gone. We have the privilege and the opportunity to represent our Savior. We have the opportunity to grow in grace. We have the opportunity to glorify God to the maximum. But you don't take the opportunity. You wander off down the my way highway. God will use someone else. He can use a lot of people or animals if he has to. So a mature believer using the problem-solving devices is totally relaxed. Two, a mature believer is not easily offended. That's right. He doesn't get his, uh, well, I better not say it that way. He doesn't get upset very often. I was going to use a slang term, and it really wouldn't be fit for the radio, but you probably know what I'm thinking, don't you? So why are you easily offended? It's because of our own arrogance. 
They can't talk like that to me. They can't do that to me. Who do they think they are? Listen, if you're easily offended, you haven't learned much about the Christian life yet. Because a mature believer doesn't get upset when someone challenges him, when someone maligns him, gossips about him, slanders him. We just turn it over to the Lord and walk away. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So you don't have to worry about straightening anybody out. Therefore, our third point is a mature believer never seeks to retaliate. That's right. Never retaliate. Our model for forgiveness comes from the Lord himself during the time that he was on the cross. Do you remember the words that he said as he hung on the cross? As he was being crucified for us? In Luke 23, 34, you can read it for yourself. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. There is our Lord Jesus Christ asking his heavenly father to forgive the very people that are crucifying him. What about you? The people that crucify you, not necessarily on the cross, but maybe in life or at work or in your family, the people that called you the villain, the people that want to have you put up there, can you forgive them? You see, in the parable that I read to you, that servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Let's see, that's a large sum of money. One talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. Or you can say denarii, whichever one, but one denarii was equal to a full day's wages. Matthew 20, verse 2 tells you this. And thus we can determine, based on today's wages, that he owed that king roughly $60 million. So you can see it wasn't just a servant. I mean, this was not just a little servant. This had to have been someone who watched over the king's interest, someone that was obligated to manage land for the king, uh, to make money for the king, and give the king the money that he made off the land, not embezzle the money and keep it, but he did. And he couldn't pay the king what he owed him. And there was no way. He asked for a little bit of time, and uh, my pastor made this point along, about a year ago. He said, look, there's no way this guy's going to be able to pay this debt back. So in verse 27 of Matthew 18, we saw that king was moved with compassion and forgave the debt. But we see the forgiven servant would not forgive one who owed him a mere 100 days wages. Now, this is all about you and I and God's forgiveness to us. We have a debt that we could not repay. You see, the justice of God is the guardian of the righteousness of God. And what the righteousness of God rejects, <clears throat> the justice of God judges every time. Excuse me. And so, if the justice of God judges and looks at you, the Bible says there are none that are righteous. No, not even one. There are none that are righteous. And so we don't have the ability to pay God back for our sin. And so the only way that our sin could be satisfied was for the perfect righteous one, which is Jesus Christ, to go to the cross and pay the debt for us. He paid the debt. 
And thus the Lord God, our Father, was satisfied. There's no way we could pay the debt back. And he forgave us. Now, when if God can forgive you, your sin, because remember, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that's before you even became a Christian, he loved you. He loves you now that you're in his royal family. But before you became a Christian, he loved you with impersonal love. He loved you based on who he was, not who you were. You were a sinner. And so now, here you are, a believer. You've trusted Christ. You've accepted him as your Savior. And you cannot forgive someone that wronged you in a small way. In verse 33, the king said, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant like I had pity on you? And that illustrates God's grace on us. We're the debtor, but the debt was paid by Christ Jesus. He atoned us by being our substitute. He satisfied the justice of God by being our propitiation. He reconciled us to the Father and redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. And so on the cross... He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was judged. And when we believe, when we receive, our sins are blotted out, even though the work was done in eternity past. In 1 John 2, 2, the Bible says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If God can forgive you, Is it not reasonable to expect you to forgive other people? Read in Ephesians 4.32, where the Bible says, Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you. It takes a mature believer to forgive something. You're not just going to be able to say, Okay, I forgive you and walk away and not think about it again. Yeah, it'll still stay in your mind. And every time it comes up, your arrogance will get a little boily about it and upset about it. But here's the process. Forgive the person, forget the deed, and move forward. Forgive the person, forget the deed, and move forward. If you can't do that, then you're going to have a hard time growing up as a believer in Jesus Christ. And the reason is because you're going to keep quenching the Holy Spirit with your anger, and you're going to keep committing sin. Your prayers won't even be answered. That's right. They won't even be answered. Why? Well, listen to the Bible. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What do you think that means? Here you are, angry and bitter and mad and upset, and now you're going and praying to God, and you have sin in your life? If you don't rebound, problem-solving device number one, if you don't rebound first, prayer is not even going to be heard because you're offering it in the flesh not in the power of the Holy Spirit there's a lot for you to think about here and I just hope this is making sense I'll be back next week same time, same place in the meantime I hope you'll be thinking about these things and praying for me I'm your host Rick Hughes thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 
888-253-3054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.